Good morning, guys. Kids, you can go ahead and be dismissed to your class. Uh, welcome back. Uh, we've taken the last couple of weeks off from Christmas Eve, New Year's. Uh, just good break for us, but it's great to be back again. It's great to be back in the gym once again. I don't know about the gym. Blue Mountain was a little bit better, but still good to be here. Hope you had a great Christmas and a New Year's. And before we get into the passage this morning, uh, just quick announcement to make. Uh, just one. Family reunion. We will be having the next one on January 22nd. It'll be at 530 here at the Parks and Rec. And family reunion is the chance for all the family groups to get together. They share a meal together. So it's just a great time to be together and to get plugged into a family group if you aren't already. Uh, dinner will be provided, so go ahead and sign up. We'll send that link out in the email this week so that you guys can do that. So go ahead and open your Bibles with me. We're going to be in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Um, my name is Jared, by the way, or as some of my family group like to call me, Backup Stephen. Um, so I get the privilege of being up here when Stephen's out of town or, you know, just when they feel like letting me get up here. Um, and if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've probably read this passage, studied through it, you might have heard a sermon about it. And so this isn't something new. Most of you, this will likely be a, a reminder, a repeat. Uh, but at the same time, it's also one of those passages that can kind of get more on the back burner, right? It's uh, one that's easily misconstrued, it's misunderstood. Um, we can get the wrong meaning, and a lot of times we can kind of push it aside, right? We, because we all agree it's difficult to share the gospel, and it's something that is uncomfortable to do. And so this is cut, kind of leads the Great Commission to being put on a back burner. And so this passage is not meant to shame us this morning. It's not meant to make us feel bad for not doing the things that we're told to do. And certainly I'm not up here to nag you into being obedient to the Great Commission or say that I follow it well, because certainly I don't. Uh, but it is intended to remind us of the beauty of Christ, to remind us of the mission of the church, that we are to make much of Him to all the nations. It's to remind us that He alone is worthy and that He has the authority to send us on this mission. So I'm going to go ahead and pray and read the passage. Sorry, I'll read the passage, then I'll pray and we'll jump in. So Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your gathering this morning. And I pray that just as we are here, that you will... Give us your grace, that you will give us your understanding, that you will bless us with your word today. And I just pray that out of these things that we will uh, be encouraged and ready to serve you and your church in this next year. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this passage takes place at the very end of Matthew. In fact, if I turn the next page of my Bible, go straight to Mark. Uh, and this is what is taken at the last part of Jesus' life. So we have uh, his ministry, which he's already had. Uh, the crucifixion has already happened, and this is after the resurrection. So Jesus has risen from the dead, and he gathers the disciples one last time for this last command before he goes and ascends into heaven. And so what we have is this 
last mission. This is kind of like the marching orders of the church. This is exactly what we're supposed to go out and do. But before we can get into the Great Commission, we first have to understand the subject of our mission, the subject of what we are telling the nations. And that this is Jesus is the one who we are to go and tell. It is because of the greatness of Jesus that this is what makes the Great Commission great. It's what inspires us and drives us to go and do these things. Look at the response of the disciples that they have. When they saw him, they worshiped him. It is this immediate recognition that they have of Jesus, that they understand that, yes, what he has been saying is true, that he is the Son of God, that he has came and lived and died for our sins, that they start to worship him and understand that the teaching that he had was true. They recognize that Jesus alone is worthy of this worship and that he is worthy of their awe, their obedience. But not only do we see the worth of Jesus, the worth of this gospel, but we also see his authority, right? It follows up in the next verse. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? And this is a statement that if you read through the book of Matthew, it's something that he tries very hard to prove and prove and prove that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? We have miracles, we have healings, and finally we see the resurrection, right? the final proof that's needed that what Jesus says is true, that it is only the Son of God who can actually overcome death. It is only the Son of God who could stop death. And so they undeniably understand that Jesus is the one that has this final authority, that he is the Son of God. And it isn't just this earthly authority that he sends them with, right? It's all authority in heaven and on earth. The final say here was given to Jesus. And now when we see these two things together, right, the worth of following Jesus, the worth he has of our worship and our total obedience, the authority he has, has our creator, has God over earth, that we start to see the work laid out for us. And it's no other work like this should cause us the same amount of joy, not the same amount of delight, the same amount of excitement, because this is the most uh, exciting subject that we can go and teach people about, right? And this helps us in understanding of why we should be delighted to go on this commission, why we should desire to do these things. Real quick, if you turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 15 through 18, uh, this should be on the screen behind me. It says this, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It is this looking towards heaven, this eternal vision that we have that we lead other people to God. It is through the thanksgiving that they extend that we are allowed to bring to them that brings more glory to God. And this is the whole uh, drive of the Great Commission. It is the fuel that the disciples had that led them to go on this. It is this fire that we have from worship and the authority that sends us on this commission. And now that we kind of understand that, we can look at the actual command, what we are told to do from this passage, right? He continues, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
right? And this is the actual instruction part of the Great Commission. This is where the command is given, and it's one main command that's made up of uh, four different parts, right? So the main command being the call to go and make disciples. And this is the part that can kind of get left out or misunderstood, um, but it is, that is our primary goal. A lot of times this can be taken to just evangelism, to just spreading the word, telling people about Jesus, but it is much more than that. And then the different parts to it give us kind of a hint as to how this is successful, right? So we have, uh, go therefore to all the nations, baptize them, teach them, and observe with them. So first, uh, I want to start by just recognizing what a disciple is and uh, what it means to make more disciples. It's important that we get our definitions correct so that we can go from there and be successful. Now, to be a disciple just means simply to be a follower of Jesus, right? It's to understand his teachings, to accept it, and to strive to spread his teachings, to make it known to the world, right? And a lot of times we can think of this word disciple as almost like a title, kind of like an alpha Christian, like, wow, they're great, they're a disciple, look at them. Uh, but not, that is not the case, right? When we read the New Testament, we see that those two words are interchangeable, right? A disciple is a Christian, and a Christian is a disciple. The two terms cannot be separate. And so when we look at uh, what it means to be a disciple, uh, that is how we get our understanding of what we are to go out and do, to make more Christians, right? We are to go and make more people who are committed to following Jesus and committed to looking more like him day after day. And now the four parts that make, us, make up this command uh, can help us in this understanding. One, the first part, uh, we are to share the gospel of Jesus to all people. And right, this is kind of where we get into that uh, difficult territory of where the Great Commission, yes, it does mean to go and evangelize, but it does mean more than that. We will get into that later. But at the very least, it means taking the news of Jesus to the world, to the nations. Right? And I looked it up this morning. I was doing a little bit of research statistics. Um, there are some 17-odd thousand people groups in the world. Right? These are uh, not just countries, but people that are, they speak the same language, they have the same culture, they have the same background, they're from the same location. Uh, and of these 17,000 people groups, there is roughly 6,000 people groups left in the world who have never heard about Jesus. Right? We call these unreached people groups. And this means much more than they just have never heard about it, right? It means that they live in a location that is uh, difficult to get into, that they have no translations of the Bible. They have never heard of who Jesus is. They are lost. They are without hope, right? Because if we understand that Jesus is our hope, that he is the one that died for our sins, that we understand that he is the only way to salvation, and they have never heard of it, then they surely must be lost without any hope. And we should be concerned about these people. We should be praying for these people. We should be uh, desiring that the gospel be brought to these people. If we truly delight in Jesus, if he is the desire of our heart and we understand that people need him, then we should have a desire to see the gospel go to these areas. Now, I know realistically uh, that all of us will not be going to Asia or Africa or what have you. I know that God is not called all of us to go globally, to go overseas to missions, right? But he does call all of us to some kind of mission. We're put in our own context. We have our own people groups, right? Think about it. I don't know your roommates, your coworkers, your kids in the same way, in the same context that you do. 
And these are the people that God has put you in this context, right? In the same way that we have uh, 6,000 people groups who have never heard about Jesus, we have uh, people just in the U.S., right? So I looked it up this morning, and there's about 35% of the population that claim to not know Jesus, right? This leaves about 100 million people just in our area, right, in this country that don't know who Jesus is. And the main concerning part of this is not that that number is going down, but rather it's on the rise, right? In the last decade, we've seen about 12% growth of people that are unchurched, that don't know Christ, that are becoming more and more lost. So when we look around us, we start to see that this landscape of Christianity is starting to change. And this is going to show how the mission, the Great Commission, is doing in America, right? If more people are becoming unsaved, not knowing Jesus, then that is a factor to show how successful we are being. And again, this isn't all to discourage us, to make us feel like uh, we're failing, but it is to show us uh, where we're to go, what we're to do. Number two, the second thing that this command gives us is that we are to baptize new believers. Right? Now, baptism is an essential part of this command. It's not just ritualistically dunking people in water, raising them back up. It is more than that. This is a symbol of people that they claim to be one with Jesus, that they are saying that they uh, look like Jesus, that they are going to be like Jesus. It is a symbol that shows that they are turning from their sin uh, and proclaiming to the world that they know Jesus and are one of his disciples. It is through this baptism that we are washed not just with water, but it is symbolized that we are washed through the blood of Jesus. And that when we go and tell others, it isn't simply good enough that they understand and know about Him. There's a lot of uh, religions and people in the world that understand that Jesus was a real person, right? The devil himself knows that Jesus was a real person. He knows all of the commandments of Christ much better than any of us ever could, right? But it is this step that changes it from just knowing of Christ to being a disciple and a follower of Christ. It is this baptism of being marked and saying that we belong to Him. They must start to look like Jesus, and this baptism is the first step of that. The third part of this command is we are to teach the Word, right? The method that God has chosen for the world to come to know Him is through the teaching from His church, right? And this is a blessing that God has given us. It isn't just offloading the work or uh, giving us something to do, busy work, uh, but this is something that he has specifically made his church for. If we think about some of the examples in the Bible, right, we have Abraham who was revealed who God was, uh, Solomon was taught from God himself, Samuel, God talked to him when he was in the tabernacle as a boy. Uh, all of these examples teach us that God, if he so desired, could let the world know about him. But that isn't exactly what he has uh, designed this work, right? He is intended for the church to go and to teach people. He is intended for them, for us, to show people the world Him. And what a privilege this has given us, right? The opportunity to play a part in the role of redemption. And this should be treasured, right? It shouldn't be uncomfortable. Well, it is uncomfortable, and it isn't easy, but this is something that we should treasure and that we should love to do. And I realize, again, not all of us have the same gifts of teaching. Not all of us are teachers. Not all of us desire to be pastors or missionaries or what have you. But we all have this inherent ability to teach. Think about the last time you taught someone about your favorite TV show or taught somebody a new hobby, a new skill, right? We all have these abilities that we're able to do. 
we're all able to teach people about Jesus. Right? And all Christians are commanded to do this. And this is a good part where our different gifts and our different uh, abilities really lead in well, right? Some of you are probably a lot better at small groups or one-on-one. I, myself, struggle with just striking up conversations in coffee shops, but I've been around people who can just naturally do that and can naturally uh, have this desire and this ability to just talk to strangers. Never understood how they're able to do that, but that's just how God creates us to be, right? And if we look at the different context of how Jesus made disciples, we see different crowds, different groups that he did. He had large crowds that he taught. He had groups like the 12 disciples, where it was a more intimate, more small gathering. And sometimes it was just one-on-one with Peter. In all of these spaces, Jesus used the context that he was given to be able to make disciples and teach people more about God. And it is these places that we are to take advantage of, the, the ways that God has given us, right? And this is really a beautiful thing that he has allowed us to do, to speak into this, right? If we look at Romans 10, verses 14 through 17, we see the proof of this. We see the necessity of this. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed that he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Right? And these series of rhetorical questions posed by Paul here really show us that it is necessary that we go out and preach the gospel. It is not just from our actions and our good deeds that people can see Jesus, but it must be these audible words. It must be through us being obedient to this call and telling the people around us their need for Jesus, who he is, and that only he can save us. It is only through the hearing of this gospel that people can be saved It is the only way that people can be brought the joy of salvation, right? And if we look at it, Paul even says how beautiful the people are that bring the good news. How beautiful are the feet. And it's not because uh, feet look good, whatever. It is because of the message that they are bringing, right? I think about when I order something off of Amazon and I'm waiting for the mailman, just waiting all day, and I finally hear him pulling down the driveway and turning around. I'm happy to see him because I know that he's got something that I want. Right? And this is how we need to see this commission, this commandment, is that it is a joy for people to receive the good news. It is beautiful that we get to bring them the good news. And this is the blessing that God has given us to be able to teach this. The fourth part of this command is we are to help them observe all of Jesus' commands. Now, if you didn't already think the Great Commission was difficult, you probably should now. Right? Jesus had a lot of commands. Some of them very difficult to understand. We're to love our enemies, but hate our mothers, our brothers, our spouses, right? These two things can get confusing, and he had more and more commands. And this is where the church and where we have to really depend upon one another. This is where kind of those discipling relationships that we might think of or already be a part of really come into play. This kind of instruction can only come from a dedicated time together, right? One-on-one, walking through life together, being dedicated to one another. And this is a big reason of why we gather weekly. This is why we have family groups. This is why we have Sunday mornings, because we want to take the time to be around one another, to be there for one another, right? 
to teach each other how to pray. And this is kind of, again, where it can be difficult to be obedient in. It's difficult to find these relationships, to find somebody, one, that has the ability to do these things, and two, find somebody that desires to do these things, right? But it is what we are called to do by God, to be in these discipling relationships, to teach each other how to observe all these commands, right? And again, it, is a, it isn't just the unreached people all the way in Asia. It is the people that are in your life today, the people that are in your church with you, might be in your family group. I can guarantee you that there is somebody in this room that is struggling with some sin, struggling with maybe loneliness or uh, understanding different parts of Jesus' commands. And again, on the flip side of that, there's somebody that has been in that spot, that has walked through those difficult times, and that they want to walk through these times with you. And so just finding these relationships and finding those people that uh, want to do this requires two things. One, it requires obedience of the person who's walked through this, right? Understanding that they have to go out and find these people. And two, it requires the humility of some of these younger guys, some of these uh, people that are struggling to be able to admit that not everything is okay, that they need help. And both of these things are good. It is what uh, God has told us to go and do. Now, of all these commands, uh, it lays before us a great task, right? This isn't just some simple thing that we are to go and do. There are billions and billions and billions of people on earth and more and more being born every day, right? They all need the gospel. And so it is only through these, this great commission that they can hope to be saved, right? And it isn't without any effort on our part. Uh, so we have to have some applications with this so that we can go out and make these disciples. One, this is the most important. We must look like Jesus and we must know him. It is impossible to lead somebody to a place that you are ready or not. Right? We call this the blind leading the blind. doesn't work. Uh, or as Jesus would call it when he talked about the Pharisees, the dead leading the dead. If you yourself are not following Jesus, if you aren't obedient in all of his commands, how can you hope to teach someone else to observe all of them? Two, we must know who Jesus is and be able to explain it. And this is kind of where that difficulty with the teaching kind of rubs friction together, right? We don't have to be perfectly eloquent in our words. We don't have to be good speakers. Moses himself was not known to be a great speaker, uh, but we have to be obedient in this call, we have to understand that this is something that must happen, right? And so it's fair to say that we must practice it. Uh, a goofy thing that I used to do, I still do this sometimes, you know, you have conversations and arguments in your brain, just random stuff, right? Somebody cut me off in traffic, I'm going to argue with them in my head even though they can't hear me. It's the same thing, right? We need to practice how we would share the gospel with somebody, whether it's in our heads, whether it's with that stranger at the coffee shop or even in your family groups, just practicing with somebody how you would share who Jesus is. Three, we must make disciples who make disciples, spreading through multiplication. If we had one person, say Paul, Paul was the only one who throughout his life was the only one making disciples. He would only have a limited amount of time to make these new Christians. And once he dies, that's it. No more Christians. Right? We want to create an effect and an, a, an event that lasts beyond us and beyond our lifetime. We want to make disciples who can then go out and make more disciples. We want to multiply these people, multiply these churches, so that, one, we don't have to do it all on our own. 
right? That's a good thing. And two, so that once we pass, once we go on, right, that event continues. Disciples are still being made. And that leads me to the next point. We are to do this together, right? The undertaking of this great commission can feel impossible. Certainly it does. If it was all on one person, it definitely would be. And this is, again, we are given the blessing of the church that we don't have to do this alone, so that we can do this together, so that we can go out and make disciples and make much of God to the nations. And finally, when we delight in Jesus, it becomes apparent to others. When we fill our conversations with who God is and what He is teaching us and what He means to us, it suddenly becomes apparent to all of the people around us, whether it be strangers or someone you dearly know and don't know Jesus, uh, that we talk how the Bible talks, that we know who God is, that we make Him dear to us, and that can spark a curiosity in them of knowing who Jesus is. Just dropping these seeds of gospel interaction can sometimes turn into big fruit years down the road. And so finally, I want to leave us with the last promise that we are given in this commission. We look at the last verse, Jesus says this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission ends with this final promise, this guarantee from Jesus that as we go out and do these things, He goes with us, right? We are successful because He he goes with us and He makes these things successful. He gives us the ability. He gives us the words to say and how to say them. He teaches us how we are to go out. And more than that, we are bringing Him to other people. We are bringing Him to others who do not know Jesus so that they can then have this relationship with Him this lasting friendship forever. He doubles down on that emphasis, right? He says, uh, I am with you always to the end of the age. He gives it to him twice to understand that I'm never leaving. I will always be by your side. And this is the promise that we have here, uh, that as we live, that as we go, that Jesus guides us, he directs us, he lives with us, so that as we proclaim him, he goes along with us, that we Uh, don't have to do it on our own power, on our own understanding, on our own words, that He gives us what to say and how to say it. So as we enter this time of communion, I just want to leave us with that, that as we go, as we live out this mission that Christ has given us, know that He goes along with us, that we don't have to do this alone. So I'll pray and we'll go into communion. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this mission that you've given us, that you have allowed us to be a part of your great plan of redemption, that you have given us a people that we can tell of your joy, that we can give them a blessing of you, and I thank you for that. I thank you how you have made us a part of this. Father, I pray for the laborers. I pray that those that as they go out to the world, that as they go to share Jesus and tell people who you are and make much of you, that you will be with them. Whether that be here in Dahlonega and Lumpkin County or abroad, I pray that you will be with them, that you will teach them. I pray for the harvest, and I thank you for those that are coming to know you, and I pray that you will multiply them day after day. And I pray that as we we struggle with doing these things, that uh, you will make it easy, that we will constantly remember who you are, that what you have done for us, that we will learn to delight in you and make this spreading so much easier because we can't help but make much of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.